Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we do Science on the Street, where we go to one of the Young Scientists of Australia's social events and ask these young scientists what they feel about a range of news stories this week in science, including what's actually going on with black holes in the latest research, what foods are safe to eat, which animal you take into a casino with you, and would you actually want to live in space if that meant you could never come back to Earth? And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. Now, City of Science this week is going to be Melbourne, and not for any fantastic research that's happening there, and not just because it's our hometown, but that's where we've been walking around the streets asking some young scientists who are one of our events here for the Young Scientists of Australia what they think and feel about some of these exciting new science stories. So the Young Scientists of Australia had a, their introductory social event of the year after the ConocoPhillips Science Experience, um, which was a nice getting social, and there was about 60 people there in attendance, and we took that opportunity to poll some of them and ask them a few questions about some interesting science topics. Now, the like to thank all of them for being involved and being such great sports, and that's why Melbourne this week is our City of Science. Now, we're going to kick off our citizen street science with some interesting thought experiments. The question I posed to all of our young scientists I quizzed was, if they could take any animal into a casino with them out of the following... What would they take and why? Now, the reason we're talking about this has to do with an exciting science story, which I'll get to in a minute after we hear some of these responses. But first, for which list of animals that you're playing, if you're playing along at home, your options are cat, dog, dolphin, bee, or wallaby. So to go through those again, you could take any of the following animals into a casino with you, out of a cat, a dog, dolphin, bee, or a wallaby and you get to choose which one you take with you. Now let's hear from our young scientists. Okay, so come here, what would you, like, what would you, what would you bring into a casino with you? Bees. Why? Because I can fit them in my pocket and you can teach them to do all kinds of crazy stuff. Would you then be the queen bee of the casino? Hells yeah. As well, because I can threaten people into giving me money. So you threaten people with bees in a casino. Are you, are you not worried that they might kick you out because you're a security risk? Dolphin, because they're like super smart and could probably just count cards for Dying me. without water. How do you get around the water <laughs> issue? It's been raised a few times. There, there's like aquariums and stuff in Vegas and, you know, huge yeah. fish tanks in some casinos. So you're going with dolphin because it's the smartest. It's the smartest. All right, okay, that seems reasonable. I would bring in a cat because hopefully people in the casino are from the internet and everyone knows that the internet loves cats. Therefore, if I have the cat with me and I start to lose, I can threaten the other people playing the game that I will hurt the cat somehow, which I would never do, but they don't know that. And then because of that, they would be scared for the cat's sake and make me win. That is a very sound ransom cat strategy. I thank you. What would you run with? I'd run around with a wallaby. Why yeah. so? Because I can easily hide things in its pouch and train it to give me certain cards at a certain times so I can win games. <laughs> so yeah. you'd have a card sliding cheating wallaby? Yes, right. And you'd ransom cats? Yes. Okay, this all seems pretty st- straightforward. What would you bring to the casino? I'd bring a cat, specifically a cheater. Because it would be good at cheating at the casino? Exactly. Also, I'd imagine it'd be very fast. Probably. I could make a quick getaway after I've cheated. Giddy up, cheater! This would be easiest, maybe. Okay, so you'd bring I, a... I, oh, maybe dolphins would be slightly more intelligent, I think. But the dolphin would be a little hard to get into the casino. Uh, that's true. Surreptitiously. That is true. You would, no, but you're, like, legally allowed... All right. And every time it sees, like, a certain card or a certain card combination, I'm going to train it to... Whistle? Or, like, whistle or squeak. squeak? Different things for different combinations and patterns. And maybe it could balance, like, the roulette ball on its nose and, like, throw it up in the air. <laughs> like, I'm people, people get into the air. But I'm in it to win it. <laughs> I want my money. 
bees. Bees. Okay, why would you oh, take bees? Release some more people and steal them. Yeah. Inside mass panic. Let's face it, you, re- you release bees anywhere, people are going to go running away frightened. That's funny. Particularly in a casino. Oh, well, that, mass you, panic you to the exit. You bees in a thing and you threaten to release them if people don't give you a chip. That's better, but... And then you release them, and then you actually release them when the security come. That's good. Okay, so ever, we have, we have what, three votes for bees? Is there a and no votes for anything There's cat? Yeah, I take a cat. Why would you Why? take a cat? So you can like sit at the poker table and just stroke the cat and just seem oh, like... Oh, for aesthetic value? Yeah, just for aesthetic value. And intim- intimidation value, mostly. So there you have it. That's the results of our initial poll. Now, I had a fair few votes for bees, some interesting votes for cats, as well as several votes for dolphin, though there are practical restraints to that. All right, so enough suspense. Why are we talking about dolphins, bees, birds cats, dogs, and casinos. Well, the story actually has to do with something interesting. Now, all of these animals perceive color, light, and other senses in different ways. And so what we're looking at here is actually which animal would be most advantageous for you in these circumstances. And the reason why we chose a casino is it's a nice analogy because the place is full and it makes its money off spinning shapes, fast-moving objects, flashing lights, and lots of vibrant colors. And the ability to distinguish between the two things is actually basically how a casino works. So each of these animals, and the reason why we've chosen them, is that they have a much better and much different response to each type of these senses. So what does this have to do with cutting-edge research and science that's currently happening? Well, some researchers from Curtin University in Western Australia, uh, particularly Dr. Wiebeck Ebling, has been doing some interesting research into the way that wallabies perceive colour. Now, wallabies, for those of you who aren't familiar, are a small marsupial, very similar to a kangaroo uh, if you cross them over the road. And it's a smallish marsupial animal, um, and they're very common in Australia. So the question is, what would they be like, and how do they see colour? Because uh, the other marsupials of a similar size, like the quokka, actually have great colour perception and are really able to discern a bunch of other things in their environment. But scientists have actually found from Curtin University that these wallabies in Australia are actually much more similar in the way they perceive colour to dogs. Now, this is really interesting because marsupials are a very specific genetic line in the animal kingdom, and so looking at how they developed these traits is also a really interesting idea and exploration of evolution. So how did the scientists test this? And this is where the casino element comes in. What the scientists actually designed as their testing apparatus for this experiment was basically a pokey machine. Uh, It's basically an automated gambling machine with a lever on the side, one-arm bandit, pokey machine, lots of things, slot machine if you're from the United States. Now, what they did was they designed one that flashed different sort of colours and they would have buttons or things for the animals to interact with and they would measure their response. So if they got a correct response, they would get food. If they didn't get a correct response, they'd get nothing. And they were trying to get the animal to respond to different colours and see if they could actually pick things up. So what they were really looking at here was the neutral point, which is where they're not unable to determine uh, one colour from another, uh, which, for example, they're not able to determine what something, if something is different from white. And for wallabies, they found that this colour is actually a shade of cyan or greenish blue, which is what, that's where their neutral point appears. So the fact that the wallabies have a neutral point, which is where they're not able to distinguish between white and another colour, um, shows that they have a dichromatic or species. Basically, we describe animals that can only see in two colours or have issues discerning two colours, dichromatic, and it's to do with the actual design of the retina. They only have two colour-sensitive photoreceptors in their retina, whereas trichromats like humans have three, uh, which means you're able to get a wide range of colours that we can see, so we're not as easily confused. So the fact that wallabies have developed dichromatic eyes, which means that they have two receptors, is quite interesting, especially when their genetic relatives in their same brand of marsupials don't. So why, why is this useful? Well, 
colour blindness and understanding colour vision is quite important for humans. And this also has a lot to do with understanding genetic diversity and the way that these species have evolved in isolation. One of the things that they're interested in looking at, as they couldn't explain why this creature had developed this dichromatism, is by looking to at the gene. So the next step of the research is actually to look at the gene itself that explains vision. And scientists hope by finding that they'll be able to get some more answers on the development and the genetic development of this idea, which of course would also help humans in understanding the way that colorblindness impacts humans as well. Okay, so that's all the fun, exciting, actual science going on here. But let's come back to the original question. If you could take one of those six animals, which would you take in with you? Now, as we just explained, wallabies are like dogs in the fact that they are dichromatic, which means they have difficulty discerning two colors. And what that means is that I would not necessarily take a wallaby in with me because they would have a point of weakness and wouldn't be able to help me as much. Likewise with dogs. Dogs are fantastic at discerning moving objects from backgrounds and really good, and that helps them with their hunting. However, they do have a form of red-green colour blindness. It's okay when things are in motion, but as soon as something stops, they're not able to see it. And that means that for a casino, when there's a lot of moving objects, but the crucial moment is when it stops, I would not necessarily take a dog in with me. Whilst they may be useful, their vision would not help me at all on a roulette table or any of the other spinning machines. Plus, red and green are important colours in a casino, especially to do with all sorts of card games. So unfortunately, dogs playing poker is not as useful as it might be. Now, red is a really bad problem colour for cats because red actually, all different colours of red, all appear as a certain shade of grey and differing shades of grey. They're monochromatic in red. And a lot of things in a casino, from slot machines, poker machines, to card tables, to card games, are all based on red. So I wouldn't take a cat with me either. I'm sorry to all of you who voted for it. Now, dolphins. Dolphins are very intelligent, and I will certainly give you that. And if you can get around the practicalities of getting a dolphin into a casino with you, you'll find some more problems, and that is that dolphins are completely colorblind. They don't have issues with particular colors, like the wallaby, cats, or dogs. They are just monochromatic entirely. They can only see in no color. So dolphins will not help you at all at a casino. You can get past all the other issues. And that leaves bees. Yes, the best answer in this scenario is obviously bees, for not only bees are mobile and quite active and small and easy to carry, but they are also have full colour vision, which extends also beyond the range of human vision, such that they can see in infrared and some ultraviolet frequencies. And the fact that they can see all colours, and even better than humans, would clearly make them the optimum choice to take into a casino with you. So the answer, sadly, is bees. The next question was all about black holes. And we asked everyone what they thought about black holes and how they actually work, especially what goes on at their boundaries. What, what's, what happens at the edge of a black hole? Things get sucked into the black hole. Okay, well, what that, what, what's that called? <laughs> I don't know what words are called. Okay, so what happens when you go into a black hole? Spaghetti. So you turn like into spaghetti? Like my mum's spaghetti. Okay, alright. So you become spaghetti, yep. and you don't know what the thing is called around it. <laughs> vortex? I don't know. <laughs> vortex. Do you want a nonsensical answer or a sensical as I can get it? Both. Either way, it's fine. Okay, well, you see, at the edge of the black hole, there is absolutely nothing but tiny grains of stardust. And in these tiny grains of stardust is millions of millions of millions of particles of angel juice. Okay. Was that your scientific or nonsensical answer? That was a bit of both, really. And what, what's that boundary called? That boundary? Yeah. The event horizon. Okay, right. Okay, so now can things can things get in and out of a black hole? Yes. How? Quite, quite easily. You just take a few steps and you're in it, and then you take a few steps backwards and you're out of it. That's, that, that, that's, that's flawless logic, guys. 
What happens at the edge of a black hole? Um, spaghettification. Okay, what, what's the edge called? Oh, uh, oh, I don't know. Point of no return, I like that one. Oh wait, um, it's the... Venturize. No, Venturize. Yes, even better. Is that legit? That is legit. That <laughs> okay, can anything get in and out of a black hole? I'm not alive. <laughs> not winds black holes. They just disappear. Where do, the, where do they go? They, I don't know, they go past the event horizon and then they spaghetti So does anyone have any ideas where we're stuck inside black holes might go? Another black hole? Ooh, I like you. So your idea is that they go into another black hole? They come out of another black hole. So like like another one on the other side is a wormhole? Yeah, you could say it's a wormhole. Okay. But you're just, you're just in there for a, a several amount of millions of years before we actually come out. Okay, so that's, that's your thing. You guys are pretty knowledgeable about black holes, I have to say. Now, black holes are a really, really interesting piece of science. They were first theorised uh, back starting from about 1915, and they come from what happens when you re- extend Einstein's theory of general relativity into, uh, into some more complicated mathematics. You end up with these areas called singularities where there's incredibly dense levels of gravitational energy, so much so that not even light could escape. So basically, in 1915, after playing around with the formulas from Einstein's relativity, we found out that we figured that black holes might exist. But it wasn't until much, much later that we actually proved that these incredible stellar objects could in fact exist. Now, there are seven seven researchers in the 1970s who were tackling the idea of how it could actually work. One of those was the legendary Stephen Hawking, who really got to a high level of fame by coming up with a way that would explain how black holes actually work, how these monstrosities of mathematics and general relativity would actually work in the real world. And then subsequently, these were oft, these were found, and there was a lot of acclaim reached. So what, what exactly are black holes, and how do they work? So black holes are, as we've just discussed earlier, the fact that when you have an area that's so gravitationally dense, like a collapsed star, that creates a pull so strong that not even light can escape and it just pulls things in and of itself. So light, matter and light and anything else can get in, but they cannot get out. And this look, okay, you can understand, yeah, it's just kind of like this big vortex and nothing can leave it. That makes sense. But the problem is how energy and matter and information can actually interact with that black hole. The, one of the problems that was solved by Hawking's ideas in the 1970s was how energy and radiation got out of the black hole and interfaced with the black hole itself. This was determined to be done by what he called Hawking radiation. Now, Hawking radiation explains how the quantum mechanics basically works around the edge of black holes. And it helps satisfy the requirements of quantum mechanics, which describes the the behavior of things on a very, very small scale. I won't get into it. We've had many episodes on quantum mechanics, but um, we it's the way that we describe the behavior of subatomic particles, and it's a lot to do with probability and the, matter, the definition of matter that makes up the universe. And it made it fit, or so they thought, well, with general relativity, which describes, for once in a better word, the, how big things, really big things like stars and galaxies and the universe itself works. And so it was a nice little neat way of tying that up. Unfortunately, it does still leave some unanswered questions because in quantum mechanics, one of the really important aspects of that is information and the flow, transmittal, and functioning of information. Now, if light can't escape black holes, how does information escape black holes? And we know that quantum mechanics means that information can travel faster than light through things like quantum entanglement, which we've talked about in previous episodes on quantum mechanics and quantum computing. And I suggest you to go have a listen if you're very interested in this. So how do we, how does this information escape the black hole? And there isn't really a fix for this. So some interesting new research that has been done 
has redefined the ways we think about black holes, specifically the boundary of a black hole. Now, part of the questions that we had from our, our young scientists answering was the way that black holes' boundaries work, and it is called the event horizon. That is the line in the sand which, which there is for the point of no return. Nothing can get out once it has gone past that line, this boundary, this event horizon. And after that, spaghettification happens, and you get pulled down to long strings, and nothing can ever get out of that. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't quite work on a quantum mechanical level, on this hard boundary, and that's where the problems were lying. So what have scientists done? Well, what they've looked at is proposed an alternate model for explaining this, one that treats the event horizon as not a solid, rigid line in the sand, but a vague and fuzzy line in the sand. That looks like it's there, but it allows radiation to sort of go between and information to pass along along this boundary and move through that. So it's not a fixed point of no return. There is a fuzzy, a vague boundary before you're definitely in and definitely out. So it's not just an on-off switch. It's more nuanced than that. So they call this the apparent horizon, which is basically the event horizon that made it a bit more fuzzy. And what this does is it traps matter and radiation within the black hole, but the trapping is only temporary. So, and eventually the matter and radiation are released and the information that is stored in them, so the, the, that they're carrying, is released back in along this fuzzy boundary. It doesn't escape massively. It just, it can get out bit by bit over a long period of time. So what does this mean for black holes? It doesn't change anything that we know about black holes. Black holes are still black holes. They still work exactly like we think they did. The only thing is that it changes the way that the boundary, the event horizon works to make it mesh a bit more with fundamental and macro level physics. So this is the way, this describes the way that black holes interact on a quantum mechanical level better than what it did previously. So it's an evolution of the existing theory. So black holes are still alive and kicking, sucking up all things into their into their mysterious voids, and that will be happily doing that for many, many eons to come. But black holes remain a very interesting point of research for astronomers, for physicists, and really for everyone, because they are still one of the most mysterious places in our universe. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. That ends part one of our street science special where we looked at animals and their visions of colours and sensors, as well as black holes and how they work on the boundary. Next week, we'll be finishing off our street science section by talking about the psychology of eating food that's safe and if you could live in space. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.